There has to be super negative or super positive or it won't sell a paper. It's just the facts. That's just the way it works. Yeah. One thing that I think is very overlooked is that trolls are usually fed by the story. Or they need to have something to get on at you about and because of the nature of it, it's either making you look super amazing or people out of jealousy will troll or it makes you look super negative so people attack you for something that's in the papers because they just assume it to be true. That, I think, is a huge problem nowadays. Hello everyone, thank you so much for joining me today and welcome to the next episode of Influence Me with me, Shaney Ryan. With 45% of the world's population now using social media on a daily basis, we are now more and more influenced by the people that we follow. But social media is such a tricky space to figure out what's real and what's in the highlight reel. So I wanted to create this podcast to dig really deep and get to know the people we look up to and get to know the person behind the digital fame. With this podcast, I'm going to introduce you to some incredible people with amazing journeys and stories to share that you can either relate to or be inspired inspired by. Welcome to Influence Me. My guest today began modelling at just 15 years old and after being thrust into the world of perfect bodies and chiselled jaws, he ended up shooting some huge career boosting campaigns for the likes of Calvin Klein, Todd's, Emporio Armani and Tom Ford. After years of modelling, he caught the eye of TV producers and started in a New York City-based reality show called Taking New York, before eventually being cast again by the same TV producers in one of the UK's most popular reality shows. That's it, it's Love Island. After finding true love in the villa with island sweetheart Camilla Thurlow, he now leads a more authentic life working with charities such as Help the Refugees and only working with brands that really align with his core values. He and Camilla have now launched their own brand called Love Jamila, which is an eco-friendly brand where 10% of all of their turnover goes to charity. I cannot wait to get to know the man that turned his back on the modeling industry, shunned the celebrity life and turns down campaigns every single month just to stay true to who he really is. I'm excited to hear his story and I hope his journey to self-discovery can help inspire other people to find their true purpose. Please welcome to my sofa, Jamie Jewett. It's important for me to point out that this episode was recorded prior to the sad passing of Love Island's Caroline Flack. If you feel that you are suffering with your mental health, please contact the Samaritans on 116123. First of all, how was the Maldives? Because you are literally back off a plane, gone to get your puppies and then straight here. And straight here, yeah. Um, yeah, it was lovely. We had a lovely little holiday, to be honest. A few, we've been away a lot, me and Cam, we do travel a lot, but they usually have sort of work elements to them. Um, we've done a few trips, charitable trips and stuff like that. Um, we did go to Africa, um, but that turned into quite a bit, bit of a work trip to try and raise some money for a charity next year. So it got to the point where we were like, look, we got offered a holiday um, and we have never taken anything like that. And um, we just thought, you know what, we just Oh, is it one of those gifted one. trips? It was... Hashtag gifted. Hashtag gifted trip. It's the a good one. The first one we have taken. So, um, but after a couple of years, we thought, you know what, we do kind of... You've worked it. hard for it. You guys do so much yeah. charitable work. You've got to take those little perks and they come along when you're doing so much for yeah. other people. It's funny to open with that, actually, because I guess that it kind of introduces a little bit of the guilt that we've felt over a couple of years and the, the reasons we're so selective about the things we do mm. and, and the, you know I definitely don't think you should be feeling guilty 
No, I think this is the first time we've actually thought, you know what, we, we, we do deserve it. Yeah. And we did take it and we don't feel guilty. For and once. you enjoyed every minute of it. <laughs> and we enjoyed it, yeah. We did, we, did, we did sit and do a bit of work on our laptops here and there, but ultimately it was lovely. I want to take it back though, right? You don't do much on social media, despite the fact that you do have that influencer status. You're quite, you're not obsessed with it. You're not on it all the time. Um, and I think it's quite refreshing. Um, and what I do see on your social media seems very authentic, but it has taken a journey to get there. So I'm going to take it back to 15 years old and you have just embarked on your modelling career. Yeah, it started, I think my mum took me up to walk-ins when I was 15. We went to see a few agencies. A lot of them said no, but one of them did say, when you finish school, come back. And mm. we were interested and it was called FM at the time. So we joined them, started working. I did do a few castings, but it was only when I was 16 and I'd actually fully left school that I could start working properly. So do you reckon being a model at a young age meant like you got more caught up in the hype of being a model? Because you were so young and thrust into this kind of world of good-looking people and shoots and probably impress all your friends back home. Yeah, definitely. There was an element of... Do you know what? I'd, I had a problem with it at quite a young age. It's not like I thought, you know, there were certain things I didn't like about the industry. I'd say it started when I was about 16, 17. As soon as I started going to castings and actually getting into the job. And there's a specific story I remember. I went to Paris for Fashion Week and I was 16 or 17. I can't remember, I might just turn 17. I remember ringing my mum and wanting to quit straight away because I just didn't... I had a bit of a run-in with an agency listening to them speak to a girl a certain way. A young girl, she's probably only 15, telling her to lose weight. And then I was standing in these castings with a load of people with holding their books in a, in a huge line of about 100 people waiting to sort of have someone look at your photos and tell you if you were good enough mm. to, to represent their brand. And it all felt very weird. So I did have quite an early aversion to it. There was definitely an element of when I was 15, when I was, you know, the idea of becoming a model I kind of believed the same thing everyone else did and the glamour of the job and there was a bit of starry-eyed kind of like yeah. naivety there. And you had a lot of success as well, didn't you? So yeah. it's like easy when you're experiencing success and, you know, if you're out there and you're struggling as a model, then it might have been different, but you booking like amazing jobs and mm. working for some of the brands that I mentioned in your intro as well, like that's, it's not like you were doing crap jobs, you were no. booking like amazing brands. So. At what point did you kind of really start to feel successful as a model and did any part of you enjoy that success? Definitely. I definitely enjoyed the success. There was, there was elements of it, you know, I always look back at my career and say I'm so thankful for everything it gave me. I think my issue with it was, and the thing I said to my mum on the phone, I just felt like I didn't deserve it a lot of the time. You're getting paid for something that you shouldn't really be paid for, at least you're not working for. It was hard to be proud of any money that I had. But from having success at a young age, again, like I'm so thankful for all of that and I'm very lucky. I felt more lucky than, than it was deserved. Is that I mean? just that because you problem. felt like you shouldn't be paid just because you happened to be born Yeah, cooking. and don't get me wrong, I've got two older brothers. They both were at home working. It was seeing my family and the way I grew up and the people around me and then all of a sudden having money thrown at me for something that wasn't... That was my first moral issue with it and 
and that was what I used to always complain to my parents about. And then I listen, you do work hard, you go to the gym, yeah, you do these things. Yeah, because models do have a, a, a tough time, don't they? From the emotional standpoint of being a model, I think the rejection, <laughs> yeah. the castings, yeah. the stumping the pavements of London, trying mm. to get booked for that job. So from an element of actually working hard, but I get what you're saying. Like it's that thing in your head of like, you didn't go to college or study to... Yeah, I didn't do anything to be qualified for that job. And that's the reality of it. And I think a lot of this rejection, it's being rejected at any time in modelling is being rejected because you're not the right look or or not getting taken on by an agency. Like, whatever happens, because I did, there was something that happened to me. I got dropped by my one agency and told to lose weight, got taken on by another one, and eventually, this was when I was 16 or 17, so I had had that rejection. I had been told, you know, lose weight, do this, you don't look right for this and that. There was all these things that it's would go very, through my head. It was head. a very it was, complicated it was, mind. it is a complicated mindset, especially for me. I want to talk to you a little bit about Instagram because you were 18, I think, when Instagram really came out. And as a model, you were kind of expected to use it as part of your job. But even at that young age, like you already mentioned, like it wasn't sitting right with you. Other models were being told by their agents that they had to have this Instagram profile and build your brand and post loads of your modeling shots and it would help you get jobs. And you just were stubborn and were just straight up like, <laughs> nope, not for me, I'm not doing it. That yeah. must have been tough, like when your agent's telling you to do that and morally you don't want to. Yeah. I'm sure they put a lot of pressure on you yeah obviously painting the picture the, the way I thought about things from 16 to 18 before Instagram came out I had an issue with the shallow side of modeling in the industry as a whole anyway so when Instagram came out and models were expected to use it in the way we were expected to use it which I'm not saying because nowadays obviously you can use it for anything you want but then my first view of Instagram was take selfies look as good as you can get clients to like you get followers all based on look at me do you know mm. what I mean that was my first experience with that platform and straight away it was just an extension of everything I didn't like about the advertising industry at that point or me being a model the reason I was being you know it, it was kind of just um, that but amplified and that and and also taking the judgment away from other people looking at you it was more like now it's my responsibility to take pictures of myself as opposed to being cast for a, a campaign by someone else having them take a picture and then put you up mm. you have to do all of that yourself so not only is it it's almost like taking over the job and starting to self-promote and it, it increases the fact that you believe, I want to say believe bullshit. Believe in your own hype. <laughs> yeah, believe in your own hype and going through it and being like, I'm happy to go look look at me. And I was late to the Instagram <laughs> party as well. Like I just, I was already seeing people posting their whole lives on Facebook and like announcing whether they were in a relationship or not on Facebook. <laughs> and you know, pictures of everything like yeah. it, I think Facebook was the start of it so when Instagram came along and it was like not even just friends that you went to school with or family it was then like this whole extended anyone could follow you and you could have mm. an open profile and all of this stuff I just remember thinking nah yeah like that is that is not a good use of my time it's, yeah it's not really going to catch on yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. why, why would people do this and then very quickly i was like uh, it took over, didn't it? this has taken over and i i think i joined purely out of peer pressure yeah originally. that's another thing and, and again at the end of the day that i did eventually when i joined um but yeah like i say my i think it's different for me because obviously when, when instagram came around my experience of it's going to be different to other people they, it was more of a social media platform to a lot of other people and they did use it for social reasons and mm. um but the only reason i had such a huge aversion to it straight away is i was like no this is everything that i don't like about my job and now i'm being asked to, to do did it did your agent myself. give you a rough time yeah on and off um 
it was more like, because she knew how stubborn I was anyway, as I was such a, a, a very sort of like stern-headed, um, especially back then. You, never. To, I didn't get that, I didn't get that impression. Now I'm trying to mellow out a little bit. It's not working very well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it got to the point, you know, the, the biggest part of it was, it was me. It was only me damaging myself based on my own moral view of it, but in terms of from, from a career point of view. But yeah, she would let me know and go, listen, everyone's doing this. These people with followers are working this much and, and shoot me sort of the lay of the land. But I just couldn't do it. I, I, I couldn't. I never felt good about posting pictures myself. You kind of did notice a dip in your career though, right? Yeah, Because for sure. of it, which is really tough. Like you're being put, you've got pressure being put on you by your agent and you know, you're being stubborn and kind of sticking to your, your guns, which I really respect. But at the same time, it's like you kind of, it became apparent you may be doing mm. yourself out of jobs, other mm. people getting booked for things based on this following that they've got and you're just like not even present on social media. That must've been kind of tough to experience that dip in your career because of you doing what you felt was morally right. Um, yeah, it was, it was. It was frustrating. And I think I said this to you on the phone, it's very difficult for me to pinpoint what it was that made my career dip, but this was all around the same time. This is, you know, I don't like to say it as if like, it's an excuse, well, I only stopped modelling because all mm. my own career did do this because of that. So it makes it sound like, you know, it's... No, but I, think <laughs> it's it, not, I, know, but I do think I it's do warranted. think it's a very strong, yeah, it's, it's a very warranted. strong case to say, and I did keep getting told, this is what you're leaving behind, this is what you're not doing. This I mean, you're a Calvin Klein on. model. That's like mm. really a difficult job to get in the bag, you know, and you've done some other amazing brands as well, Tom Ford and stuff. So it's not like people were just going to stop booking you overnight. Like you don't go from that to not being booked when, you know, yeah. you, you're doing so well. So the social media thing is actually really a shame that that made such an impact. I don't think you're mm. at all making excuses i think yeah. that's just really seeing the timing of what was going on in the industry yeah. at the time and the facts of it really yeah that's how it seemed to go to me i'll say that um so yeah for them few years i stopped getting booked my career took a definite nosedive but yeah it was just a struggle then it was a battle to think am i being stupid is this silly and i remember my dad is someone that i used to speak to and he's like jamie you're just overthinking everything just stop doing this quite a deep thinker anyway Massively, yeah. Especially about things like that. I overthink everything. And even to my own detriment, like I say, it's when I'm sitting there thinking, I know what's happening here, but I still can't bring myself to be like, you know, everyone's doing it, just join in and it's nothing, you know, you're not, you're not like doing anything wrong. Mm. I just couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't bring myself to do it. Um, and it's not even that I couldn't bring myself to do it because I'm taking a moral high ground or anything. I just couldn't physically, in the moment of actually, I hated it. And I think a lot of people that do it today don't enjoy it and don't exhibit it. Exactly. I know, honestly, if I'm it, being really honest with you, like, you're, you know, Tony will tell you, I'll get booked for some campaigns and things and I'll just complain the whole time I have to mm, shoot it because I'm yeah. like, this is so freaking cringy. Like, mm. I literally am just dying a death inside. And I'll say that openly. It just feels so unnatural to stage things and, you yeah. know, to, you know, even selfies. Like, I, I think the only reason why I take selfies is because I hate the cringiness of having to ask somebody else to take the picture take for me. Picture for you. Yeah, so, it's, it's a double-edged I, sword, I isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> if you think, I, I think if you went back through yeah. my Instagram feed over the years, you'll see that actually there's not... <laughs> 
there's not any selfies at all because when I started Instagram, it was just fun. And then it became no. more of a worky thing. And then there became pressure. And then you're asking people and then you don't want to be that cringy person that's asking people. So then you start doing selfies and then you are back. And then exactly you've also got to pose about 50 times and like, you know, can you keep taking them, please? Yeah, it's so, so it literally, done. it's so yeah. cringy. I can't even deal. So I totally get it. Like it's, there's certain people I think that love it and they're amazing at it. Am I one <sighs> of them? No. Are you one yeah. of them? A hundred percent no. And that's okay. Yeah, like I say, we'll get into that. I think definitely there are people that enjoy it for a certain amount of time. I would argue that depending on what kind of thing they do, but I think this stereotypical influencer that we're talking about is taking pictures of themselves and selling products and that's all they do on Instagram. I think there will become a time where every single one starts to feel disconnected and not happy and at least have more judgment of themselves and I think I think issues definitely arise when that's all you do. Can I ask you how you felt when you used to go to a photo shoot as a model looking great like you've worked hard on your body you've mm. gone you know chiseled and toned and clean shaven and looking perfect and then you see a campaign with your face on it and you know it's been tweaked and edited and changed it's like hold on a minute I looked really freaking good I worked really hard for that body and yet you still edited me to look more enhanced? Like, what did that do for your own personal self-esteem? And do you think that social media is doing the same thing, you know, for individuals? Because I know that, you know, I definitely prefer myself with a filter and then I look in the mirror and I'm like, <laughs> where's my dog ears and <laughs> Snapchat filter now? Do you know what, it's so interesting you ask, because I, I, there's a couple of reasons I think this strive for perfection or this, you know, that the amount we do to look perfect damages us. And one is misrepresentation of the way you look at that moment. Again, like with editing and making it even more over, over represented as perfect. And then the other thing is putting so much pressure on yourself to get in that position in the first place. Because obviously all the training and all the belief that the way I look was great and everyone, oh, everyone thinks I look good. And, and believing that all that crap you, that you're then putting yourself in a position where you've put yourself under much so much stress to get there that realising that just all of that work and all that effort's going to something that's so superficial that won't make you happy anyway mm. is where the dive comes from. It's like it's not just the image. They, the images are a problem because we're obsessed with getting those images and making them even better, but it's being obsessed with looking this way all the time or, or judging other people the way they look and it, this whole superficiality behind your image being important so, so when you start to believe that more and more and chase that more and more and you know that doesn't enhance the way you feel really, it's like a very quick fix for things. It's very like... So as somebody that's like been in that situation where you've been A and B, so you've had that experience where you've been obsessed with your image for work reasons and then you are now in this place where you're just authentically yourself, would you say that you don't really have those moments when you're like, oh, I preferred how I looked when I was in the gym every day? And are you kind of beyond that? Or I, cause I'm just really interested. Yeah, to yeah know, no, like, it's, it's interesting because it's hard to. Are you kind of because you, you never have those moments? No, I feel I like do. with women, like, I do. you have those 100%. moments. Yeah, you're yeah, like not course. beyond that point when you go, oh shit, like really shouldn't have eaten that burger, and I should have gone to the gym more last week, and I wish I looked a little bit more like this 100%. or whatever. You still have those moments. Mm -hmm. 100%. It's funny because speaking about Camilla, like the way she'll say, I go up and down in weight a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I've gained a lot of weight since I came out of Love Island. Um, she can tell I've definitely changed massively. I really don't care 
I say I don't care, I care a lot less mm. what I look like. And that's because of all these different things. And I am astronomically happier for really? it. I am. In the last that's couple nice of years, I'm as happy as I've ever been. And a lot of that is because I've offloaded a lot of that. And again, a lot of it all comes from this. And I've really started to accept that none of those things will make me happy. I wasn't happier then. One of my biggest depressions when I was when I was most successful, I probably looked the, the best in bunny years. Yeah. <laughs> And I've been through that and I understand that now and I've been my lowest and now coming out of this, but I still sit there sometimes and Camilla will put a hand on my belly and I've got a little bit of rolls there. And I'll tell her not to touch it because I don't like to be reminded that it's there, like kind of thing. Only in moments, I'll have moments of it. And I think, but what I'm doing now, I'm training for fitness, I'm training for boxing, I'm learning a sport, I'm hopefully going to turn professional. Amazing. So I've got all these reasons I'm training, I'm fit and I'm healthy. I just like my food. Yeah. And, but... There's still that. It's going to take a long I, yeah, time to get. I look like, at myself in pictures sometimes, and I think about just don't know, people comment about it. And although I'm so much happier for it, and it doesn't bother me. There are still moments where I'll sit there because this is never. There's never a quick fix to this problem because everybody else is living by these rules that I'm talking about. Me as well. I'm still seeing the same advertising. I'm still seeing everybody else on Instagram. I'm still seeing all the other people that have came off the same show and the way they look and keep mm. them. But I've got myself out of it and I feel better for it, but it's still, it's always going to be there. Like you, you're not just going to overnight be able to get rid of it all. I still have moments where I have to be like, this is, this is the power of it that's making. It's nice that you're being so open about that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Cause I feel like it's very easy to get women to sit on this sofa and have a conversation with me about body image and about insecurities and about mm. the kind of emotional journey with, you know, training and food and public perception, but to get men to have that mm. conversation is a lot more difficult. And I'm sure there's plenty of guys out there who don't talk about it to save face, mm. but actually internally are going through exactly the same struggles as females go through maybe just a little bit more publicly. There's this whole self-love, body positivity mo movement happening at the moment. But what I've noticed is it's all for women. Mm. I haven't yeah. noticed it really for men. You're completely right. And I think it's going to be a little bit longer before that's something like that's ever going to become mainstream. The mental health chat, I think, is the most mainstream thing for men now that we're opening up Which a is a about, good thing for sure. Which is great. And let's face it, in many ways, it's linked to what we're talking about because a lot of mental health comes from mm. all of these different things, all these different self-esteem issues that can be caused by loads of different problems. Like I said, I don't feel like I'm opening up about much. I'm just being honest about something because I've come to a realisation about what makes me happy and I've decided and noticed certain things that are massively damaging and that is... Thankfully, because I lived the life I lived, I've got a very subjective or objective view on all these different things that are damaging. And now everyone out there feels like For someone like feeling it. how you felt though, somebody going for it right now, somebody in the moment of just feeling like not good enough, low self-esteem, male or female, as somebody that's been through that and is now where you're at in your headspace, what kind of advice would you give to them to help them see past it? So what? It's very hard to think of advice, but what I will say, the reason this is so difficult for what you and what you're going through is because we are so conditioned. Everyone around you is conditioned. You can't see it, they can't see it, or at least the vast majority of them can't see it. Social media, the people you look on there, the reason people post pictures of themselves in this way, and the ones that you think are doing it happily and, and just going about the day and are lucky because they're getting paid for it, and that everyone of those people are feeling this. 
and it's all come from something that's happened for years and years and years and that's all to sell products and it was never for the reason anything positive it was always to sell things it was always for financial gain and the way you're feeling is completely normal but unwarranted in the sense that you are perfect just the way you are and it sounds so cheesy but so true, the fact it? is all of that the thing you're chasing the thing you think you want and the thing the reason you're feeling rubbish you don't need or want or it won't be any happier when you get that so to speak or however you may want to try and get there or whatever you're telling yourself you need to change and there's a reason why this is a problem there's a reason why mental health affects every single person from the bottom to the top there's a reason why people with all the money in the world still be unhappy it's nothing to do with what you do or don't have or like what you do or don't look like that is not ever going to be the problem again like i say i'm not a psychologist so i can't give the advice but i just want to just look at everything that you ever see and break it down and look at it really objectively what is it why have they done it what is it representing that I think that is going to make me happy that I want? And a lot of the time, it is superficial. And if you ever get down to, you know, you break it down to brass tacks and it ends up with a superficial answer, you don't need or want it and don't admire mm. or look for it. Do you know what I mean? Thanks, that sort of stuff just doesn't make you happy and it never will. And that's something Speaking that we've Speaking from the voice from of reason yeah, and the voice well. of experience as well. <laughs> I think that made sense because totally makes sense. I'm going to take it back a little bit to your journey because mm-hmm. I want to. I feel like your journey triggers great advice, and I feel like it triggers lessons learned. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do want to go on your journey a little bit because you know you've been modelling since you were so young. Like you haven't trained in anything else. Like how did you cope with that feeling of just really not knowing what to do with your life? I didn't deal with it very well. Those were not my best. Years, I'd say actually there I was, you know, this, I, I try and remember timelines for things, but I was working enough, do you know what I mean? I was working, I was getting odd jobs here and there, but like I say, I could slow down. But yeah, I was refusing the Instagram. I'd say that pre-taking New York were just a lot of years of just chugging along, doing what I knew I didn't like, but it was paying the bills, hanging out with my friends, just sort of ticking over, really. Not, not really having much drive, I was just sort of just going through the motions at them stages. Hmm. My worst years, I know, were post taking New York. So how did you end up on the show? How did I end up on that show? That's a good question. You went from refusing to even join Instagram to being to on, be a on a reality show. show exactly. That is a weird jump, Jamie. And I was I like, how um, on earth you know, did you get that? was kind of a spontaneous thing because this, I got a Facebook message from Channel 4 in the UK. And I think... I'm not fully, I don't know how they found us, but from what I know that they had, they had done castings in the UK for people that were moving to the US. I used to work at Abercrombie when I, was, when I first moved in and started modeling, it was like a part-time job. And I think they interviewed a few of those guys and they'd mentioned that I was in New York and you might you wanna to speak to um, a friend over there. So I got this random Facebook message and we were initially like, no, we're not doing this. This is, uh, I was so like, this is no you friends. and a group of your pals, yeah? We lived in Brooklyn in a lovely apartment, me and two of my other friends who were both models. One was Australian, but when they found that out, they were all trying to sort of get all three of us to join because it was a perfect little filming location and whatnot. And we really weren't up for it. We kept chatting about it. We were like, oh, so we're not going to do this. But um, I think what happened, they were quite persistent in asking and eventually they turned up at my work. I was doing bartending at the moment because obviously I wasn't earning loads of money modelling. 
I can't remember if they just walked in because maybe one of the other boys had said I worked there or something. They were like, oh, can we have a chat with you? And I was like, it's obviously not a great time at work. And then they said, can we just come around to speak to all three of you boys? And I went home that night and spoke to the lads. And then eventually they came around and gave us this whole spiel. And I think what happened really when we joined it was kind of three lads living together after they'd been persistent for a little while. They'd told us that it's not really a big deal. It's kind of like, We'll never get you to say anything you don't want to. It's going to be really like, you know, Natural. the whole, na yeah, that whole spill, which it, it turned out to be anything but that. Um, so we was, you know, that's kind of like chipped away at us and sort of softened us. And, and we were just like, oh, it's all through it. So we'll do it together. We'll just do it for a laugh and, and sod it like. That like fun life um, experience. Yeah, exactly. And, and don't get me wrong. It, Modeling's great and everything, but you got to understand, even when you're busy, you're working two days a week, three days a week would be crazy busy. So there's a lot of downtime, it's quite monotonous. So we thought, you know, I think it got to the point where it was just like, sod it, let's just give this a go. It's a new thing. Um, I didn't watch reality TV at the time either, so I hadn't really, you know, mm. I didn't... It wasn't, wasn't what like it is today. That. It wasn't what it is today. No, it didn't have the reputation that it, that it has now. Maybe that's just because I've seen more of it now since I've been doing it, but... Um, so yeah, eventually we just said sod it and we'll give it, give it a go. And it was more like one of those things when we signed across along the dotted line, everything that they had said turned out to be not true. Did it seem become scripted reality? Yeah, it's something that's now I understand to be called structured reality. Oh, sorry, structured reality. Structured reality, reality is apparently the right terminology. <laughs> and, yeah, and it follows... The same, it was the same formula as things like Made in Chelsea and TOWIE. They're all a different kind of reality. Love Island's not that type. It's, um, you know, like Big Brother, you just get, go in there and put people in a situation and let them go on with it. Hidden cameras everywhere, always filming. Structured <laughs> reality is something where you will turn up, the cameras will be set up. It's almost shot like a movie or, or, or a standard TV show that is scripted, but the reality one is not. But you are given like a mark to hit, you'll walk in, there'll be someone there, you don't know who, and just react. So you'll go in, you'll look at the floor. That's why every time you see people walk in, they look at the floor, they hit their mark, they look up, and it's supposed to look natural. <laughs> but, never but noticed really that, doesn't. but I'm really going to You watch it now, it. <laughs> you'll know that they're always hitting marks here and there. I, don't, I hate no one hates me for like bursting all the bubble on this, but um, that's how it's done. How, how many seasons was it? It was only one, oh, thank okay. God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that was how you second. ended up on Instagram as well, right? Yeah, it was another thing. It was like Twitter and Instagram are um, something you need to get just for one for show promotion too. But your, so agent, your modeling agent to... was fuming. She's like, oh, yeah. all that time <laughs> well, I tried to get him to go on Instagram, now he gets yeah. it. It's just a little bit more. They had a bit more of an influence and it was kind of like, you know, the, the fans of the show need something to keep up with you and, and all this sort of stuff. It, it creates that connection between you and your audience. And, so how quickly you know. did you fall into the trap of posting all your old modelling photos? <laughs> and, and well, that's it. Being the, an Instagram model. Yeah, I, th I feel like the, yeah, the, the stepping stone that this story has for my story, that the reality TV was, it got me on Instagram. I still used it very reluctantly. I'm, like, I didn't really know what to post. I wasn't taking any selfies and knew that for damn sure. So I ended up posting modelling pictures here and there. And I will admit, after, the show came out, which is what gave me my following that I ended up going into Love Island with. I would say if any moment where I almost got sucked into it was then, but that was because I didn't want to take pictures myself. I didn't want to do all that sort of stuff. The only photos I had were these modeling pictures and I had my agents in my year and it just kind of thought that was the easiest way just to, just to do it. And 
Because then you and actually fell into having this perfect yeah. looking feed by accident. Yeah, well, I'd say it was, yeah, it was a bit, I was always crap with captions. It was just like my modelling portfolio, basically, but on a, on Instagram, there's nothing personal about it. It was just a bit mm. cheesy and... But enough to get you thousands of followers. Yeah, well, just, yeah, they mainly came from the show, but it was like, again, the biggest time I, I felt like all of a sudden, I'm like, shit, how did I get here? Is when you have the following, or when I had the followers and I was posting, you're getting the responses and you see which ones do and don't get likes and all of a sudden you're sucked in and you start to think one it was such a battle of, of like why am i doing this and why am i doing this and if i get rid of this now because i had the following it's kind of another source of income sitting there and and i'm doing the thing that my career has wanted me to do for god knows how long and i was just like in a real in two minds all the time. I think that was probably like a real the worst. internal battle, isn't it? It was like, an internal battle. I've always been in an internal battle before, but I'd never gone the way of Instagram, so it was kind of easy. It was just like, no, I'm not doing it. But now, because of other things, I ended up with it. And, and not only just doing it, it, but making money from it as well. Yeah, and a part, yeah, and, it, and luckily I never got fully sucked into it. But now, again, it just goes to show, like, I... I have all these thoughts and these views about it, but as soon as I started doing it, I felt these little influences, these little like nudges of this is what it feels like and this is why people are so addicted to this platform because when I started posting pictures, I'd see which which photo did get a lot of likes, which one didn't. Like, why did that one photo with your shirt off? Oh, they got loads of likes. Did that feel good? Well, it kind of felt like it felt good. And, and the next one, you're like, oh, okay, so this is what gets a good response. And then and I start to think about all these things. Yeah, and, and again, that was another thing. The neurological reward system in your brain, the dopamine that it helps you release when these silly little triggers are clicked and they're all digital and it's not. Again, it's like a quick fix, it's not real. But it worked on me. Mm. So the all of these things the about this platform in, right? that I thought would be the case and all the craziness that I saw when people were using it and all this addiction and all this emotional roller coaster, I saw people going and I was like, wow, this is it. Um, this is what it feels like. This is fucking very clever. Whoever made this, mm. this sadistic bastard. <laughs> it's very, very clever. And I, that was my first authentic experience of being an influencer and the first time I saw the signals of what Yeah, like this you were emotionally attached to, to the platform. You start to become emotionally attached. You start to be emotionally affected by what you post, what, you, what, what gets good responses and what doesn't. And, and you start to alter your feed and yourself. And then and you're, you're in the situation to... where you're making money from it. Like, oh, yeah. Do you, did you start to feel maybe a little bit trapped? Like, oh, God, I don't want to get rid of this. Like, I'm making money. And, you know, because off the, off the back of New York, what did you take in New York? What did you do next? Hey, guys, just a quick break to tell you about our sponsors. His and hers renovations and interiors. Property finding service. Helping you find the perfect home or investment property. Renovations. Enlist our team of specialist builders ensuring the highest quality finishes. Project management. Taking the stress out of managing your project, leaving you to focus on work, family and household commitments. Interior design. We create a space that you can be proud of. Let us simply design your home or fully furnish your space down to the finest details. Our aim is to never bring you a problem. Only a solution. Helping you to create your dream home. Follow us on Instagram at His and Hers Renovations Interiors or visit our website at www.hisandhersrenovationsandinteriors.com. Was Instagram like a mania income source? No, to be honest, I didn't earn a lot of money from Instagram then. It was more like, because I had the following, the capital was there in, in terms of 
everything I was supposed to have for my modeling career, which did get benefit from it. I had it now, I had the, the followers in the bank, so to speak, and this is a thing that my, my agency had been wanting me to have, and when the show went away, I still had those, so it worked for my work. So, not that I was earning money from it, but the, the asset was there. Mm. So it was an asset, and it's very difficult to know what to do with. But that's when things for me mentally got really, really bad. I'd say that was my big downfall. Did you because have depression, would you say, around that time? A hundred percent. Not, I'd say it took a good couple of years after that. It was almost like I, I was doing everything I didn't want to do. I'd been sucked into it to a certain degree, but I, I still had all these thoughts. It was still me there. I'm not, I was never blinded by it in any way, shape or form, but I was kind of like, well, I've got it now, so I'm going to keep it and keep, keep going with it. And, and eventually I began to fucking despise it. And it was almost like I'd cheated myself and I was doing something I hate and I'd avoided it up until this time. And then I stopped caring about modeling even more and about the way I look even more. I didn't look after myself. I started drinking a lot. To and the point just, where it was a problem or? Not so much. Just a bit of an escape. Just an escape, yeah. I was just, I just didn't care about anything. I felt like I'd really, I was just disappointed in myself more than anything and, and just miserable and just even more trapped and felt like I'm just going down this rabbit hole and it's getting deeper and I'm not, you know. Whereas before I was starting to think objectively about the thing I didn't like, but I was still avoiding it. So I could have thought of a way around something, maybe change a whole lifestyle now. Now I felt like I was even more embedded into what I had to do and who I was. Did you know what you wanted to do though at that point? Or was it a case, was it a case that you knew what you wanted to do, but you just didn't know how to get there? Or was it a case that you completely lost and you just didn't even know what to do? So you just on the, on the hamster wheel keep going? Yeah, I knew, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew what I didn't want to do. But my problem was I started doing this when I was 15. I have no qualifications. I have got at this point, probably seven, eight, nine years experience in something that won't get you a job anywhere outside the fashion industry. You turn your head left and right on, on, a, on a photography set. That is about the, the, the extent of your skill or what that represents for you. So, and I knew that and it's like, how do you as a 23, 24 year old turn around and change or be taken seriously in any career? What career do I pick? Like, where do I go? Like, it all seemed against me. Like the, the, the opportunities, it just didn't seem realistic and I had something here that I was earning money out of it was getting less and less because like I say I cared less about it and I was I become a bit of a, a withdrawn sort of I wasn't putting any effort in I wasn't looking like I said I wasn't looking after myself so I was definitely ruining that career as well but I also didn't kind of feel like I had a lot of option then. yeah it was I didn't feel like I had a lot of option of doing anything else um disappointed with myself and stuck in something that I'd have tried to avoid for so long like, if you um, could go back and have a chat with Jamie then, knowing what you know now, knowing how stuck you were, what would you say to yourself? Don't be scared to just up and move home and drop what you're doing. Because that's eventually what I'd done. But I'd done it when I was miserable and in my lowest point, I'd done it out of necessity. I had to. Like, I had no other option at that point when it got really bad. Um, when I was really depressed and when I moved back to my parents' house, that was because I had to, because I let it get there. Mm. 
So now in hindsight, I think, listen, now I know what road that went down and it come to the same point, I'd say do it earlier in your life, move Don't. home, quit that job, start fresh. Don't be too proud. Don't be too proud. Don't be scared. And, you know, like I've got a loving family that took me in. Obviously, they'd do anything for me. They help me out all the time, and I'm very, very lucky for that. What about I was people like, who don't have that? That's the really scary thing. I'm like, I still was so fortunate in that position to, to have a, a safety blanket. Were I not, I'd, I'd have been even more stuck. Like, I'd mm. have been like, would, would I want to change any of that? Because now it's really made me... The person you are. The person I am, and I, it, it makes me think so clearly about something that's so destructive nowadays. Mm. So would I want to change it? Or would I tell him to do any different? Well, you what is everything I everything I've experienced? Was it completely necessary to get mm, this outlook probably. on things? Yeah. Like you said earlier, there's only one you, and it took all of this to build mm. you to the person that you are today. And actually, that kind of depression phase was eventually what led you into doing Love Island, which is actually a weird place to be going, yeah. to be kind of well, healed, go. like heading to Love Island. But that opportunity came around when you were back home with your parents, right? And mm. you were, you know, still feeling really down. And it was yeah. kind of a, I guess, a fuck it moment. Like. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was, you know, it was how I actually ended up in the show. No one would know, by the way, that when you walked through those doors that you were going through all of well, this. Well, no, this is the thing. No one knows what happened to, had to get me through those doors. Um, so talk to me about that. So, yeah, I was, I think it was in Ireland on a photo shoot on a Saturday night. I turned up in Ireland and I got a phone call and it was from the, the producer of Taken New York. I hadn't spoken to him in years. And, uh, the one that you were having all these arguments with. <laughs> we had some disagreements. Who now I have every everything to thank about, you know, a lot of the positive things in my life, me and Camilla, all these different things that have happened, I have them to thank for. So it's very funny how things turn out. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I get that phone call and my dad had got me watching Love Island because I was living at home. He's an avid fan. That's Loves so funny. reality TV, yeah. Does he? Funny, yeah. He's, he, just, he just finds it fascinating. But anyway, he got me watching this episode, this series, so I was familiar with it probably joined about a week or two in and um so yeah i turn up saturday night island get a phone call and then he says literally it was so quick monday we got a flight and we need to come on love island i haven't spoken to you in a while blah 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 how are you and i was just like oh mate like yeah i didn't really know what to say i was very reluctant <laughs> so i was like okay i'm not sure i just you know and he's like look anyway just just have a think about it blah 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 so i, I put the phone down Mm. Sunday, done the photo shoot, flew home Sunday night, went to bed and woke up Monday morning. I had a load of missed calls on my phone. And um, it was the producers and they were like, listen, I was very hesitant and I was just like, I, don't, I really don't think it's just something. And it scared the shit out of me to be, to be dead honest with you because I thought going in that place, feeling the way I do, social situation, all on TV, it's not the right choice for me right now. Um, but they, they just said, come out to New York at the worst case scenario, you have a few days in the sun and we'll, we'll send you home, just come and chat to us. So I was speaking to my parents and they took me to get some summer clothes just in case and we went, dropped me off the airport, flew out there. Your dad was just like, get on yeah, that island, lad. Yeah, my dad was really, <laughs> from everyone around me was talking really positively about it. And again, with me, it was just this same battle going on internally that, this is not, this is everything I didn't like, for one. I had a bad experience with it before. With taking but, New York, yeah. Yeah, yeah, with taking New York. Um, and I knew it was again being pushed back into the superficiality of the, of the world that reality TV is and everything after it and, and the people that are in the papers every day. And I knew all that came with it. So that was all, 
at the back of my mind. And when I turned up there, I refused. I was like, I'm not doing this. It's not right for me. They made me speak to the psych and the psych even said to me, I had a long conversation with her and she's like, I don't know if this is the right choice for you. It's like, you really need to have a think about it. And I told them and I said, no. And me and Theo were supposed to go in there the night I arrived, Monday night. And we didn't because I said I wouldn't go in. And then I woke up the next day and I'd ask them to get me a flight home. And um, they turned up at the door and again, because I knew this producer previously, he was a bit friendly and everyone were really lovely, all these producers are very good at mm. trying to convince you to do something. They're very like, very lovely people, very chatty. Really make you feel like they care. Made me feel at home. <laughs> um, and I did, you know, I did feel like I had a personal relationship with this guy because you know, I knew him for a long time. And it was, I was listening to what he was saying and there's a lot of good points. This might be good for you, might be the thing you need. And, and I remember my parents and my brother, Everyone was saying the same thing, like you're stuck in a rut, you've got a lot of things that you hate, you've got a lot of issues with a lot of things, but you need something positive in your life and this might give you that second chance to mm. to take it from a different angle. And and yeah, I just eventually, like it's probably late morning that next morning after having said no to it all, it was my dad I think that finally gave me the nudge and convinced me that just give it a shot. And, I was crapping my pants, but I just, I just went for it. I was just like, okay, sod it, and I gave them. Because what they were asking for was me to give them their, give them my phone, and once you give them your phone, they lock it away and you sign, and it's really like... It's official. Yeah, it's like... They're like, so give me the damn really phone, Jamie. <laughs> like clutching it yeah. for dear life. So but you ended up it. on the show. Did mm. you have your eye on Cam before you went in? I knew Cam was probably the most similar to me. A lot of the things I saw her speaking about and a lot of the stuff I knew about her from what I'd seen, from what little I had seen of her, I knew I'd get on really well with her, or at mm. least have a lot to talk about. I was very interested in who she was. Um, so they gave me three people to choose for a date. She was my first choice and they made her come out last, I think for good reason. Mm. I can't remember the other two I chose. Oh, so she was your first choice, but they made it look like she was your third. Yeah, show. whether it was save the best till last or the one that you know, because I, I I did say to them, I was like the same thing. I, I think I'll get on my cam. She's anyone I really want to go on a date with, and it's like you got to pick three. So I picked. Who did I pick? I can't even remember who I picked. That's good. Amber, I think. Oh yeah, Amber Davis. Amber. Yeah, Amber and somebody else. Tyler. Ah oh, okay. Yeah, Amber and Tyler. So they brought them two out and then Cam came and sat down and this always makes me laugh because when me and Cam first met, we instantly started speaking about books and politics and all these different things that I knew she was interested in from, from seeing one of our, our like favourite... I feel like I remember this date, you know. Yeah. One of our <laughs> it was so different books. to anyone else's mm. date ever on This is a funny thing. One of our favourite books, Sapiens by Yuval Harari. I don't know if you've read it, but it's a no. book I loved. And I'm, I can't remember if she or I mentioned it. And we'd be like, oh my God, it's my favourite book. And yeah, they showed that, That just right? got things off. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. That sort of kicked things off on the date. And then we started talking about everything the book represents. And it's a lot about... I don't know, um, humans and, and, and it goes into politics and where we came from and how the way the world's run. So we started talking about these really deep things and the producers kept coming in being like, guys, this is all really nice, but um, you just like, so do you think she's pretty and stuff? <laughs> like, can you can lighten you, it up a little bit? lighten this up? Because it's not going to be great for TV. And this happened, you repeat, lost this half happened the audience. repeatedly. Anytime me and Cam had any screen time, it was very much like, can you... Tony Stop down, guys. talking about this boring shit you're talking about, but genuinely connecting. That's so um, nice. So yeah, we had a. It was. It and it was wasn't funny. just her that you connected with on that island because you could see like you made some friends and 
you got on well with quite a lot of the guys as mm. well and do you think it did like that I, I the way I look at it from now knowing in hindsight how depressed you were going in and how you left is maybe you just needed that human connection and that you know no phones no social media actually being locked in a space where it is just conversation and fun and tasks and that's exactly what it felt like to me that's exactly what it felt like I needed that I didn't know I needed so one thing when you get depressed I think a lot of people who are out there who are feeling this will resonate with at least it's obviously it's a lot of negative thought and a lot of negative feeling and when you feel negative and think negatively about things you stop wanting to see people because every everything seems like an effort. you feel like you have not a lot of energy and everything seems like an effort and and emotionally everything seems like an effort you, like if she's someone invites you out to have a beer or go for some food it's like you think negatively you think, oh, i don't want to do that i don't want to speak to anyone i don't want to so you sort of withdraw and when you withdraw you become more depressed and that's because the connections that you're turning your back on because of these negative thoughts are the things the only things i feel like that would ever get you out of it and that's where it becomes a vicious circle and it and, it, and it's a self-perpetuating cycle of depression because the more depressed you get the less you interact and the less you interact as a human being you're getting less of what you need mentally and that's these connections and that's what I was missing and that's when you really get into your bad stages and luckily for me I was in a position there where I almost got forced into a situation where I had to interact and all I had to do was interact I was very very lucky in the sense that they took away your phone they take away music books any distraction you can possibly think of that we all have nowadays, you don't have in there. And although it's unnatural, there's cameras everywhere, you do soon forget about those. It doesn't feel like there's cameras there. Everyone comes over to you straight away, asks you questions about yourself. It's like your first day at school almost. Mm. And it was a daunting prospect and it was horrifying to think that that's what I was going to go into. I thought I couldn't handle this because I hadn't, I'd been so withdrawn before I went in there and I'd been so miserable. But instantly just, having someone you know there's, there's a nice thing about meeting for the first time as well because although people call it small talk there and then like you've got a lot of things to talk about you talk about yourself you ask them questions about them that interaction that initial interaction is quite natural and there's a lot to learn and there's so many of them as well there's probably what 10 12 14 people there when i walked in and i'm not saying this will be for everyone but it felt like instantly i just forgot about everything there was something and someone there in front of me and nothing else. There was no phone to look at. There was no way of avoiding these conversations. And something I had missed or had been missing, I was, it was like forced upon me almost. Yeah, it's it like, like a like, prescription for yeah. prescription for human connection, prescription for you know isolation you away from the for, yeah. yeah you can't isolation away from distraction of internet yeah. news, you know all those kind of things, phone. Um, connecting with new people, which is always going to pull you out of your shell. And a lot of the things that had worried me and made me wither away into the reason, or, the, or a lot of the reasons why I overthought, or the things I overthought about weren't there either. My whole life, my whole world, my whole, all of my worries were gone, at least for that three weeks. Um, and you take things day by day. And the sad part about it is, I guess, I don't want to put on a negative note, but the fact is the real world's not like that. And, and that's why I realise no. I was fortunate about my situation and I think it did help me. But that's also why I try and use what I learned from that situation and try and apply it to people's lives and why I'm doing things like I'm that, that I'm doing now and talking the way I am about everything that I've spoken about and trying to get people to realise that. And it, the, 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 
the solutions are there, but the things you're up against, the problems, or at least the barriers, the hurdles in between you and that easy solution, or so-called easy solution, because it is around us, people are around us, people are everywhere. You know, I mean, we can talk, we can interact. The distractions are the hurdles. And that taught me that as well. It's like, not only did it teach me a powerful solution to a really powerful problem, it also taught me all of the hurdles that are between most people nowadays to get to that solution. Mm. And that is your job, your work, your judgments of each other, which all come again, like from different things, the expectations you put on yourself and we put on each other and this self-perpetuating loop of judgment and expectation that social media puts on all of us. All of those things are massive hurdles to get over, to be able to get back to not thinking about anything else other than the person in front of you and your connection with them, whether it be your mum, your dad, your relationship. Yeah. But like you said, not everyone has the opportunity to go into Love Island and have that. So in the real world, kind of like, is there three things that you think anybody, you know, who is maybe feeling that lack of human connection or going through depression could do despite the the natural nature to withdraw and lock themselves away. Is there anything you think that they could do as just three simple steps to try and achieve maybe just this week to help them move out of that depressed phase and towards that lovely moment that you experienced of human connection that helped you break that that rut? Like I said, I'm no psychologist and, and everything I'm saying is from a very specific point of view and that is my background and, and things. If you're, you know, if your issue is social media or, or or self-esteem issues, I feel like I can help a lot because I know where a lot of those come from. Um, if, as a general rule for somebody who's feeling very depressed, it's very difficult for me to say how to go Alex. I understand how difficult that was, but the, 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 it's not one size fits all. No, it, exactly. It? it really isn't. These are tailored issues and tailored solutions for for problems. But the general thing is that connection, however hard it may feel for you. I think the best way would be to combine it with something else, to combine it with an activity. Sports, great. Anything you get out there, something you, that you enjoy that doesn't feel like just socialising to you because that sounds daunting. Playing football, playing basketball, playing whatever it may be, even playing cards, but anything that puts you around people that you end up having chats and you end up meeting and having bonds and 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 I think that's probably a good step because obviously going out and hanging out with friends is, is something that people find uh, hard when you're in that situation. I think it's just figure out a way to get back in touch with who you are, what you want, what you like, and 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 who you love, basically, the, the people around you that you love. Um, I know all of these things that were problems for me, but even when, for me, I'll openly admit, I just don't know how to help get people away from all the problems that get you in that situation. So I know I'm not very good at giving advice on this, and I have to admit that. All I can do is share my experience, tell the story of it, and hopefully people can take from that. Yeah, and that's what it things is. Things that they relate to and that they're doing wrong or not doing wrong, that they're feeling pressured by or things that are weights on their shoulders and hopefully listen to my story and be like, that's true of, of what I'm going through. Yeah, yeah, the take point is, so is that, the, yeah. you know, even if somebody only takes one thing away that's from exactly your story, it. that yeah. affects them in a positive way or makes them realise they're not alone or mm. they can, like you said, relate to, be inspired by or learn something from what you've been mm. through, then we're winning here. Yeah. Fast forward, you come out of Love Island, you've met this gorgeous girl, Camilla, who's still in your life today. Um, you guys did not get sucked into that celebrity lifestyle. Like, 
most Love Island alumni, <laughs> you know, <laughs> are in uh, are in the newspapers every week, and you mm. know, uh, really lapping up the brand endorsements, and you know, the, the they're making the money that you know is on offer for that six months to a year post Love Island, and I think a lot of them maybe been bantered a little bit. I remember Jess and Don when they came out, like you know, they <laughs> yeah, would be it. They, they would they would literally bless them, take every hashtag spawn, yeah. Ha- yeah, hashtag sponsored. <laughs> post that they could get and you know good for them that's fine but you know not not here to judge anyone but you guys made a really conscious decision not to take every deal that was thrust to you not to you know do any kind of staged photos per se and Mm. you know getting paid off press and all that kind of thing you've been very mindful and very conscious of how you've conducted yourselves as a couple and as individuals since you left the villa um, was that a conscious decision that you both made? Did you come out and have a conversation about it or is that just naturally how it went for you two as people? Do you know what? No, it wasn't. It was never a conscious decision. I think from my my own reasoning, I think it's quite evident from everything I've just spoken about, that is a world that is a huge example of all the things I've just said I don't like about what I did previously. So Was Camilla on the same page, though? Was there ever a... Yeah, this was the beauty of it. She oh. was exactly on the same page. She used to be a mine clearance, she used to be an explosive ordnance disposal expert and clear minefields in Cambodia and Afghanistan and look on at Karabakh and lived a life that was so secluded from everything that we've just spoken about and everything that gave me so much issue. So her side of it was she hadn't, you know, apart from being humanitarian that she is and doing an important job that she'd done, she just wasn't a part of any of that world. And she was as well importantly very detached from social media I'd say from anything modern pop culture, like she was just kind of a little bit alienated from all of these things. This is even weirder that she ended up in Love Island then. It really was, and she has her own story for that, yeah. which is really funny the way we met and under yeah. circumstances that were so unlikely considering the fact that, that we both kicked winning, kicking and screaming. And, yeah. and, you know, but now we have everything to thank it for, for the show. And, and But anyway, yeah, so that's why she... When we came out, it wasn't a conscious decision on either of our parts. It was more of a, I mean, we came to the same conclusion from different avenues. Mine was all my years of issues with these kinds of things that evidently would become worse, or at least I'd be going into the same kind of industry when I left if I got involved in all of that. And hers was because she just had no interest in it. She wanted to do things she really cared about and they trumped any of that. Um, so both of both you have turned went, down a lot, haven't you? A lot of opportunities. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, which was again tough and I know it frustrated my family I know this very well what are some of the biggest opportunities you guys turned down just money for paid posts and um, big big money for stories in certain magazines that are structured and around certain at home with Jamie and Camilla yeah just stuff like that and there's you know like I'm saying about my parents, and it's something that they, you know, they, they tried to give me advice on when I was turning all this stuff down. I was I was losing out on modelling jobs because of my same issues, <laughs> shoot myself in the foot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just again I couldn't. Then it wasn't like I say. It, it, at this stage, it, well, it's not a conscious decision. It's just something I didn't want to do. I didn't want to be a part of, and I never was going to do. And same with Cam. And I think that's something we bonded over. It's something that makes us. The couple we are, and keeps you away from yeah, scandal. And, yeah, 
Did you guys ever have any lockdown. negative tabloid yeah, experiences? Yeah, like? we did. Um, I mean, one, we had an argument about... I don't even like going into this stuff. The fact is, I know even out of this podcast, stuff will be pulled out and be like, because it happened when Cam done a podcast recently. She goes and does a podcast and someone got completely taken out of context. Right. Headlined. And it was about suicide and her thoughts of, you know, and in context in the podcast and and you look at the difference between what she actually said and how these articles were structured it's horrendous but it is something that does make you realize how tough it is for certain people or some people like any of these celebs that that do go down that route i don't blame anyone for making money out of their position especially after love island reality tv big brother whatever you may come off uh, have come from there's a huge opportunity there and in a world that teaches you money is success and money will make you happy. You've got a huge opportunity to go and make yourself some money there and a lot of people do, but what comes with that, I understand, to make more money, you need to be in the papers. You need to be spoken about, you need to be relevant. That increases the cash flow, but what that also does is increases the scrutiny on your life and makes things incredibly hard because of the reasons like that. And another thing, the power of the media, I think I truly, truly believe, and it's, I don't even know, it's, it's not even a matter of belief, it's a, it's a cold hard fact that trolling, especially to a reality star or somebody like that, it'll either be on one or two things, it'll be on the superficial that they see from the images you post of yourself, or it will all come from a story that has come from newspapers. Mm. And a lot of the time they're twisted, they're false, they're like altered, they're, they're the fact is, humans are storytellers. We all want a story. And we want to read stories as well. We don't want to say this what this person's actually doing. Jamie and Camilla are at home watching Come Dine With Me. It's not a story. It won't sell the newspaper. So what will happen is whatever happens you, needs to be glorified or condemned. Something needs to be super positive or it needs to be super negative. So any normality in someone's life, which is what huge celebrities are, just a normal person, most of us, very, very fucking boring, They'll find anything they can grab onto, and if they can twist it and glorify it, mm. like, so you made 500 grand for a job. No, you didn't. We know we didn't. It might have been 15, mm. and they'll say it's half a million. That makes people think that you're rich and makes everyone look at you like a certain way. So it seems like it's not going to be negative, but it is. It's putting yeah, in false that. information that makes people judge you on something, because wealth is a certain thing that people do judge and say you're spoon-fed and all this sort of stuff. So that can happen, or they condemn it. So they make something that, is there a negative twist on this? They has to be super negative or super positive or it won't sell a paper. It's just the facts. That's just the way it works. Yeah. And so that being the nature of that career or that industry, you have them fueling stories, twisting stories, fueling stories for the sale of papers, which then have that knock-on effect where you get an influx of social media activity we call trolling. And the conversation is always around the trolls. Where do they come from? What are they doing? Why are they doing this? And it's it's a phenomenon that's around, but one thing I think is very overlooked is that trolls are usually fed. The story. By the story. Or they need to have something to tell you, like to to, to get on at you about. And because of the nature of it, it's either making you look super amazing or, you know, so people out of jealousy will troll or it makes you look super negative. So people attack you for something that's in the papers because they just assume it to be true. That, I think is a huge problem nowadays. And again, I think another thing, I'll use this example now, it's a very extreme case, but 
you look at like the Madeleine McCann case and how when this horrific thing happened to this family and they lost their kid through a kidnapping or there were very few facts but the fact is there was a kid gone and there was two distraught parents and the story came out and it was it was tragic and, and the whole yeah. country were behind these this 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 couple and and then all of a sudden some news like people were trying to get information about the trial and a couple of bits of information came out from this very shoddy investigation done by this one guy and then they assumed that this may link to that Madeleine McCann's parents were involved. So instantly you had a traumatised couple in such a tragic situation that had the whole country behind them. So then they had half of the country or even more believing that their parents were responsible or involved in the kidnapping of their own daughter. And now the whole country's against them just because of reporting either a super positive, super sympathetic story or on the flip side when the opportunity arose a super negative and condemning mm. story yeah it just shows and like how the much power, power of it and the people same as Meghan Markle as well exactly and the emotional attachment of people that read these stories believing them to be true either way and their reaction is usually to take it out on you one way or the other really congratulate you for your half a million pounds that you've just earned or to completely slander, slate, like condemn and just condescend and to speak to you in Brilliant. a way that you wouldn't, yeah. And it always comes from somewhere. And I, you know, I think a big thing that people face and another big problem with, like we say with social media, looking at what's real, what's not, what's true, what's not, what's any of your business and what's not. A big problem we have nowadays is we're so used to being pumped with snippets of information, bite-sized information, whether it be a picture and a caption or an article with 30 or like three or four paragraphs to explain a very, very long, nuanced and, and complicated situation with right and wrong on both sides. It's, it's, it's written from one perspective and it's really short because that's all we can take in. So it's attention spans are getting shorter and shorter with things like Twitter and all these different things. It's just non-stop judgment and expectation and hatred and all these different things that are thrown around and the way we look at each other and look at ourselves, it all affects not only how we judge other people, but how we, the standards with which we hold against ourselves are also affected. And I think this whole thing, it all comes under one little package. And it's something again, like I, it just reminds me of my old lifestyle and me being sold a certain way and feeling myself absolutely about myself a certain way and the way people look at me and the way I judged other people all came from this and I think a lot of that it makes it worse nowadays I think that's it's all tied in media social media advertising all of it it, it needs to be called out objectively a little bit more than what it is I think you just did a brilliant job of doing that <laughs> <laughs> no I completely I do completely agree with you like it's it's when it's broken down like that and I'm sure many people listening will sit and have a little think to themselves about how many times they've read a bite-sized piece of information in a tabloid and then gone and repeated it to 10 people. And then, yeah. and then and that's you the know, meme, and, then and make, it's out there. Yeah, and it's just, it's actually people's lives and it's really damaging. And, and people who it affects, unfortunately, sometimes pay the ultimate price. And that there's suicides, there's all these sorts of things. And I'll never, I will never be one to say that I know why anyone done anything. Mm. Because we don't, because that's an incredibly complex thing. But another thing that's happened, especially recently, is that another thing people will do is go out there and try and tell a story as complicated as somebody's suicide from a very one-dimensional perspective 
was it this, was it that, was it? So it's a combination of all of this stuff that we need to have a conversation about and not just reality TV or this or that or, you know, it's just how we look at things. And the fact that that's even a story in a newspaper mm. and somehow the way it's represented also illuminates the issue itself is, it's, it's all to do with gossip and obsession and, well, that's a kind of reverse Madeleine McCann, if, I, if I'm reading into what we're talking about, is that it's one of those things where somebody is kind of villainised a little bit in the press and then something happens and all of a sudden it's, you know, this empathetic yeah. thing. It's the reverse. It's like it's just, the narrative is just completely controlled. Yeah, um, I And think, the problem is it's not accurate. Yeah, yeah. I think people need to really slow down on their consumption or at least their I will say obsession because it is an obsession for a lot of us that we don't even appear we realise that he's there to hear about or want to know things or at least accept a story that is so poorly explained or poorly represented with so few words understand that everything is so much more complicated than you will ever know and even when you think you've got it you probably still don't get it mm. about somebody about what someone's feeling about who someone is about a feud or a scandal whatever it may be it's so much more complicated than you'll ever be able to get in a newspaper for you to ever be accepting of a point of view and take it and regurgitate it and give your opinion on it without knowing fully what both or all parties or that single person has gone through, you are doing yourself an injustice. You're, you're, you're continuing this, this issue. You're letting it run away with itself again because it, it all feeds into each other. Like we, we, we're an issue, the, the, the media's an issue, social media's an issue, the way we use it is an issue, like the way it makes us feel them and, and then react, it all fuels itself. People so need think- to stop being obsessed with having an opinion about things that you simply are, like, understand that the true meaning of empathy is like, it's, it's kind of withholding opinion until you fully understand both sides. It's giving both sides equal and, and fair opportunity, or at least not trying to deduce something from something so small. And, and that is exactly what information is nowadays. It's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And that's why judgment's getting it's getting worse and it's, intense, it, it's it? intensified it is everything is it's you know we're, we're stopping we're losing our ability to understand anything because we kind of don't have the attention span to do what it takes to understand anything nowadays we're too quick to to jump onto a bandwagon or a, or, or, or a like, trend or a, or a new meme or like you know a new way of it is kind of like fashion, funny enough, to tie this all back fashion. in. Fast fashion. It's kind of these trends that, put, like, that that change and then we're on to the next one. And then you can't do that with people's lives. You can't just be a trend or a story or, or just a conversation to be had and to be said, you one side or the other, I, I do or I don't like it. You shouldn't have an opinion of love or hate over something you don't know because then you're falling for it. And that's how people end up looking at you. And that's how we look at each other. If you want it to get better, we all need to just lay down arms and start to... Take a stop little being bit so of time. bloody stop judgy. Being so judgy, exactly. Long Absolutely. story short, stop being so judgy. Definitely. <laughs> What's the biggest yeah. life lesson that you've learned, Jamie? Because you've been on a journey and a half to find your authentic self. And from the conversations we've had, I feel like you're on the way, if not there. Yeah, I'd say, funny enough, one of the biggest life lessons is I don't know if there's such thing as authenticity. I think 
you can do your very best to deal with what you see and break things down and understand them for yourselves. But I think there'll always be a new challenge which will make you feel like you struggle or you don't know yourself or you don't know this and that. Because the fact is we live in a very unnatural environment. We really do. But all you can do is do the best you can at being yourself. Really face things that make you feel bad. Like Our easiest reaction is when we feel sad, it is because of something. Something's making us feel sad. Figure out what it is. Don't ever follow fads and it just, if, if you question something, if something doesn't feel right to you, you're probably right. It's probably not right. And just because everyone else is doing it, don't do it. Like just, that's the only way you can kind of navigate this weird world that we live in. It's just oh, yeah. scrutinize things that make you feel sad or, th or things that, you know, just scrutinize everything, but don't judge. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Try and figure it out, but don't judge. Don't don't be emotionally moved to the point of making mistakes like that. I don't know. It's just it's people, a weird people world. People take away out from there. it what they need, Jamie. <laughs> What's life like for you and Camilla now? Like you're a celebrity couple, but you come across like you live a very normal life. We live a very very normal life. Yeah, we got our two dogs. We sit at home. I think our happy place is sitting eating eating a takeaway and watching TV. Um, doing as much charity work as we can. We're trying to run our business. Um, yeah, so you've got your business, Love Jamila, right? Yeah, we've got Love Jamila. That was a, a passion project of ours that we started from the ground up. Um, kind of came from the fact that we both knew we wanted to do things that made us, that, that meant a lot to us. And when we went to the refugee camp that Camilla took me there, she's done that kind of work a lot before, but I'd always wanted to. Went out there and it changed my life. And I was, you know, something that genuinely gave me positive feedback that wasn't, Digital was that incredible connection, incredible feeling you get from actually helping people that need it. Um, but then again, it, it, we weren't, you know, we haven't been high flying and earning loads of money and we wanted to try and create a way we could afford to do that more often or at least um, create something that would earn money itself and then be able to pay for projects that we cared about, which is where Love Jamila came from. That's why we give 10% of our turnover to um, help refugees at the moment. We all work with different charities, but, and also the company is completely eco-friendly. We don't use any plastic. Um, yeah. It's, so for uh, those that don't know Love Jamila, what do you produce? What can they buy to help give back to charity? At the moment they can buy um, Cam Jam Multi Balm is our first hero product, along with avocado eye cream called Easy on the Eye. They all had slight nudges to Love Island because we knew that would be what everybody would like and at least it would find it quite funny. And the Love Jamila name, by the way, is not Jamila, as in Jamie and Camilla, which is again another little play that we done because we found out it meant beauty in Arabic, Jamila does, so it's like love beauty. But what it means is deep inner beauty, not superficial beauty, not just what you look like. It's about what you do, who you are, how you live your life in a beautiful way. So it's kind of, it all sort of, that. that's where the name came from and that's mm. what we try and do as a company. It's not about we won't say anything that alters the way you look. It's like looking after what you have, being happy with it whilst also giving back. And that's a beautiful way to live. So that was the idea for it. So that's yeah, we've really got nice. sugar scrub, eye cream, lip balm, we've got two candles, and now Camilla's poetry prints that she's been doing um, are available for sale on there as well, which we've been doing really well. Lovely. And the fact um, that you, and you guys give 10% of turnover. It's turnover, yeah, not, not profit. And that was about as much as we could we wanted to tie in as much of it as we could and still be able to run the business off of Well, that's a lot more than most. Everything. Most yeah, and do. I think it's been very difficult, but it's been something, again, that's really fulfilling and, and, and felt, you know, it makes us happy. And that's a, What's the future look like for you, Jamie? 
I love boxing. I love sport. It keeps me sane. So you mentioned um, you might go pro? Yeah, I'm looking to go pro. I've boxed for 17 I'm, I'm years. I'm a keen boxer myself, mate. Yeah. Hey, uh, I mean, <laughs> she, I'm terrified of like, getting in good. the... Yeah, no, I'm, I'm terrified of getting into a sparring situation because hey, uh, I'm like, yeah. I genuinely don't want to mash up my face too much. Uh, but... Yeah, no, I love it. Yeah. So no, if, you, if you do any fights, I want oh, I want to be next to Camilla Ringside. 100%. Spare you on. <laughs> um, yeah, I've done it for 17 years. It's something I've always wanted to do. It's a goal that I got offered. I'm not just doing it because of the status or anything like that. It has something I've been around my whole life. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing that. You it's training often? Six days a week, yeah. Yes. Um, what caption would you like to leave our lovely listeners with today? And Jamie, don't forget your hashtags because they're really important, as you know. I've got to put hashtags in as well. Yeah, you've oh, got to give me a Jesus. caption and a hashtag to finish this off. Give it to me. I'll just I say, live life on the light-hearted side. Listen to influence me. And uh, yeah, hashtag, what do you think? Hashtag, don't judge. How about that? I love that. Thank you yeah. so much. Where can people find you online? Jamie underscore. There we go. Thank you so much for listening to us today, guys. This episode is definitely one that has been very real, very honest, raw, and makes you really stop and think about how much time you're giving to online spaces that don't make you feel good about yourself. And also what you yourself are putting out there to the world. Ask yourself the question, is it authentic? Is it meaningful? What Jamie shared with us further backs why I wanted to start the Influence Me podcast. Jamie knows the perfect image that he was posting before wasn't a positive influence on either himself or his audience. And with this podcast, I wanted to get behind that 2D image. I wanted to get to know the influencers we follow. I wanted to get to know them in depth and to see what we can learn, what we can relate to and what we can be inspired by from their storytelling. It's more than just the image. If this episode has helped you in any way or you enjoyed listening, please do subscribe, rate and review this podcast wherever it is that you listen so that we can reach more people and share the wisdom of our guests that we've discovered with each and every episode. Also, don't forget if there's someone in your life that you feel can learn from what Jamie's spoken about today and you feel might benefit from hearing this episode, please do share it with them. And if you share on social media i will be sure to give you a repost just follow me at shaney underscore ryan and maybe jamie will too <laughs> i just wanted to say a mega thank you to our sponsors today his and hers renovations and interiors influence me was written and presented by me shaney ryan and produced and edited by redwood studios our theme music today is by Jaylee Music. And please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever it is that you listen to your favourite shows. It's important for me to point out that this episode was recorded prior to the sad passing of Love Island's Caroline Flack. May she rest in peace. If you feel that you are suffering with your mental health, please contact the Samaritans on 116 123. Thank you for listening.